The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Welcome back inside the chat room. You are tuned into KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're broadcasting live from the University of California campus in Irvine. We're streaming on the web at KUCI.org, and we are podcasting every sultry minute of this show. You can check us out at KUCI.org, click on archives, scroll down to the chat room, and you will find every single one of our shows up there and available for your listening pleasure. I'm Marie Stone, your host. I'm in with Dana Flores. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? You're good. Friday night? Yes, absolutely. Like we do every week. And we've got a really interesting guest. I did a little bit of research on her. And I think we together are going to have some interesting questions for her. And it sounds like, from what I read, she will have some interesting answers. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So we are on tonight. Uh, as promised, I've been I've been doing a little drum roll for our guest tonight the past couple of weeks. We are on with Dr. Samira Bayadi. Dr. Bayadi is a Newport Beach Orange County cosmetic surgeon. She graduated with honors from Boston University School of Medicine and completed her integrated postdoctoral training program in general surgery and plastic and reconstructive surgery at Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. She completed a fellowship program with the Loma Linda University Medical Center in Loma Linda, California, and is licensed to practice medicine in California. And uh, she's done a lot of other stuff that uh, that you can look up online. You can visit her at drbayati, B-A-Y-A-T-I dot com. I went on her website today. It's fantastically fabulous. There's uh, There's all kinds of graphic photos, too, which are fun. For those of you who want to, <laughs> you who want to look around. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> yeah. So welcome to the show, Dr. Bayati. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much. Good evening. It's a Thank pleasure you. to be here. Oh, it's great. It's great for you to take your time out on a Friday night. And uh, and I know you've got people coming in. So we'll, uh, we'll dive right no into it. Um, so tell me a little bit about, before we dive into the, the main subject matter of, of the night, which I've been titillating our audiences with over the past couple of weeks of the, the newest craze, I don't know if it's an Orange County craze or a, a U.S. craze, um, but tell us a little bit about your practice in general, kind of the majority of who you see and, um, and the procedures that they want done. What makes up the bulk of your business? Sure. Um, As a female plastic surgeon in Orange County, obviously most of my clientele are women. But in the last few years, about 20% have become men, and more and more men are having plastic surgery now. But one of the biggest things that we do is mommy makeovers. Um, A lot of women just want their pre-pregnancy bodies back. Obviously, breast augmentation is very common in Orange County, as it is nationally. And every once in a while, 
new crazy stuff come up that are very trendy and people want it and we do it for them. Uh, plastic surgery, unlike a lot of fields of medicine, is more about the patient and their needs instead of, you know, treating the patient for a disease. That's what makes the job fun. And I've been in practice for 13 years, and every year there's something new, and that's why I keep up with the continuing medical education, all the meetings, to keep up and be current with the time. So, uh, so I go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. So I see patients from teenage years all the way to older women. I had a very nice lady at 84 years of age whose husband finally passed away, and she was like, I want my breast augmentation now. He wouldn't let me have it. (laughs) So at 84, we did a breast dog, and I'm like, okay, so you want a B cup, C cup? No, I want D cups. So (laughs) the young lady got her D cups at 84 years of age. So as long as people are healthy and they have good reasons and they're you know, psychologically sound, we are game to give them exactly what they need. What percentage of Orange County women would you say, or do you know, have had some sort of plastic surgery done, surgical plastic surgery? Well, if you walk around Fashion Island, it's probably 100%. (laughs) In reality, I would think about 70% do something, including fillers and injectables and Botox. And if you consider that plastic surgery, pretty much everybody at a young age starts here because prevention is key and because we live in one of the sun states everybody's into skincare and skin resurfacing and chemical peels and you know preventing lines so botox and fillers are pretty much just part of the daily routine and maintenance like an oil change in your car mm-hmm. so those kind of stuff if you consider that i would say 70 percent wow so uh so tell us about the latest and greatest Well, there's a few things on the horizon that are new and very interesting. Um, The latest is injection of fat and fillers in the ball of the foot for high heel shoes. As you know, our friend Christian Louboutin keeps getting taller and taller. (laughs) (laughs) He himself, of course, is under five foot tall, but his shoes are platform six inches. And, you know, that's a very unnatural position for the foot. And our podiatrist friends have popularized this, putting fillers in the ball of the foot. And now they're advocating putting fat in the ball of the foot. It's one of the crazy things that people ask for. I personally don't think it's a great idea, to be honest with you, because uh, fat injections in the foot is, first of all, it's a very tight space. As you can see, the skin doesn't give a lot on the bottom of your foot. And you can only put so much in. And because it's on a pressure point when you're standing on six-inch heels, the fat absorbs. Hmm. Fat, when it's manipulated or it's under pressure, absorbs much faster than when you just leave it alone in the facial lines or for facial augmentation, which is the main reason we use it. Sometimes for breast augmentation and contouring, we use a little bit of fat. In my reconstructive practice with breast cancer patients, we use fat grafting to augment the reconstruction and make them appear much more natural. But the ball of the foot, really? I mean, just because we can doesn't mean we should. <laughs> and when you're not... That's how I feel about that. Yeah. When you're not wearing heels, what mm-hmm. what's the experience? Because it feels like it would throw your balance off. Um, it doesn't so much throw the balance off because you can't really inject that much in the ball of the foot. As I said, the skin doesn't give. But I would think that your shoe size at least goes up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because, as you know, women's shoes are pretty tight in the front. And if you fatten up that part of the foot 
you know, being a self-respecting woman that owns six-inch heels, I would think at the very least I would have to go up in my shoe size to fit my feet into normal shoes. But aside from that, I don't think it's a great idea. Risk of infection and, you know, tight space infection, especially in the hand and foot, are very dangerous. And I don't know if it's worth all that trouble. What, uh, What have been the reports back from your patients? Well, you know, at this point, I'm just kind of being watchful about this procedure, and I've talked a couple of people out of it, um, so at this point, I'm not dabbling with that, but that's the latest request people are coming in with. A lot of these types of procedures come and go, because mm-hmm. people do it, they realize it doesn't work or has a high complication rate, so before I jump into the latest trend, I let other people try it for a little while. Technically, it's not a difficult thing. I mean, fat grafting is fat grafting. We do it all day long. But sometimes you have to use common sense. Do I want to do this to a person's foot? And personally, at this time, I don't. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, I'm also curious about whether these, um, sort of whether necessity is the mother of invention or whether women, you know, if if there's just somebody sitting in, in a room trying to think of new weird things to do to women, or if women are having some experience and saying, you know, what would be great is if you would inject fat into the ball of my foot. You know, you know what I mean? Who's, I who's, who's driving the industry? If you had for more than half an hour, you'd know the answer to that. <laughs> they're not meant for that. Right. <laughs> they're not comfortable. They're, you know, they're beautiful and they're sexy and we all do it. But they're not the most comfortable thing in the world. But that's why God created Dr. Schultz insoles. <laughs> you know, you can put that <laughs> at the bottom of this shoe and save yourself all that trouble, and it's a built-in cushion. So I really am not going to jump on this trend till it has a little more longevity than a few months, which is what it has been. And a few months ago, this all came out in the news, and people are starting to ask about it. And I give people my honest opinion that I don't think fat lasts at the bottom of the foot if you're standing on it. Pressure makes it absorb faster. And yeah. same with the fillers. If you manipulate a filler or put pressure on it, whether it's in your lips or at the bottom of your foot, it's going to absorb more. So is it worth, worth the gain for the bucks? I don't think so. What, what are the bucks? Well, for fat injection per area, depending on the volume, we charge about 2200 to 3000 based on the liposuction of the primary fat, you know, concentrating it, taking the fluid out of it so that the fat cells survive and then injecting it. It's kind of a process and it's kind of technical and if people don't do it all the time, they don't know how to preserve the fat so it stays where you put it. Mm. And you know, that's for the fat grafting. Injectables, you know, radius, restylane, all of that stuff is, you know, radius is about 600 to 1,200 per vial, depending on the volume. It comes in different volumes. And restylane and Juvederm, the going rate is about 600 per vial. What really grabbed my attention in this was the toe shortening. There was something in your press release about women having their toes surgically shortened also in order to fit better into the shoes. Is that happening too? especially people who have really white feet and, you know, that last toe is kind of getting getting compressed on the side. Or people who have unusual toes. As you have, I'm sure, noticed, not everybody's feet look the same. Mm -hmm. And some people have that second toe that sticks out much further than the first and the third. So people are having surgical removal of the middle phalanx just to kind of shorten it a little bit. Again, I consider that extreme. It kind of goes along the same lines of the Chinese people lengthening their legs to gain two to four inches. I understand the concept. I understand the need. 
but do I do I think it's a great idea? Personally, I don't. I mean, there are things we do that are within reason, and there are things we do that are extreme. And I don't always feel like just because I can, I should. Yeah. So, you know, use your judgment, just like everything else. Dr. Bayadi, I had some questions. I'd like to take us in more the uh, aesthetic realm of plastic surgery. Sure. Am I to understand correctly that you have had some work done yourself? We don't cut and tell, but of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you seen that commercial of the hair club for men? The guy says, I'm not just the president, I'm also the <laughs> client. That's me. Gotcha. Of course, I've had two children. Your body changes. Um, you know, I... I do Botox and fillers, and I am, you know, a good example of good skincare. Obviously, I have to be for my patients and no sun exposure and occasional chemical peels. I haven't altered my face too much, just the Botox and the fillers, but, you know, body work is part of having kids and being a mommy. And if you don't like it, you can fix it. That's a nice thing. And it's not for everyone. I don't advocate it that everybody who has a baby should should have a tummy tuck or have their breasts done or liposuction or anything. But the nice thing is that it's there for people who don't feel good in their own skin afterwards. And as a woman and as a mother, uh, I saw the changes of pregnancy, and I'm very athletic. I work out all the time. And some of the stuff I can't combat with diet and exercise. The extra skin doesn't just shrink magically. Mm -hmm. So these are things we could do for women to make them confident again, make them feel good about themselves. And especially being in a, a beach city, you know, feel good in a bathing suit in the summer or a tank top without anything hanging out or hanging over the tops of their pants. So I think that makes my job really fun because I see the results immediately. And these are the most grateful patients. What you uh, you had mentioned earlier that there are certain patients that you won't treat because of one of the reasons you said was psychological issues. Correct. What what would a patient look like that you would turn away because of psychological issues? Somebody like Heidi Montag is a good example <laughs> in the media. You know, yeah. um, no disrespect. Um, the late Dr. Ryan was her surgeon. But, you know, at some point when a beautiful girl comes to me and wants too much work done, I have to question her motives. And if people don't have a good self-image or have body dysmorphic disorder, which we see a lot in this business, I see 120-pound, 5'10 girls coming in showing me their hip bones, and they want that sucked out. And at this point, you realize this is not something I can help, and this is a problem in their head, and I'm not going to improve it with surgery. But unfortunately, there is enough people out there doing plastic surgery, hopefully not board-certified plastic surgeons, that unfortunately somebody will operate on these people. But I personally have made it a model in my practice that I'm happy to improve people's lives, reshape their future, do whatever they need to feel good about themselves, but they need to be of sound mind with good reasons and good motives. For example, if you just got a divorce and you're feeling miserable and you think bigger breasts is going to bring your husband back, I want you to think twice about it and come back to me like in a few months. But if you feel good and with bigger breasts and you think that, you know, it's good for you personally, you like the way your clothes fit and makes you more confident, I'm all for it. Why not? So you understand the difference. Um, 
taking advantage of people's insecurities and, you know, reasons that are unhappiness in their lives or unhappiness with their self-image is not a good idea. And as a physician, hopefully we adhere to better ethics than that. And so I pick and choose the patients. Unfortunately, I'm in a practice that is super busy and I have the luxury of picking and choosing patients. And I can tell you, I see a lot of young girls under 18 come in with their mothers for breast augmentation and I won't do it. I think that anybody who buys a device that's going to require lifelong maintenance should be 18 years of age to consent for themselves. And that's just a policy in my practice, but I know there are practices in the area that do augment women under 18 years of age. And that's a choice. As a surgeon, you make a choice how you want to do your practice and what kind of a person you want to be for your patients. I heard that was a big graduation gift that mothers were giving their daughters from Absolutely. high school. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Especially this time of year, they come in for consultations, and we have mother, mother-daughter pairs that want to do it together. Like a two-for-one thing or a four-for-two thing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, four-for-two. But no, um, I mean, honestly, I can tell you, if they're not 18, I won't do it. And um, unfortunately, we live in an area, Orange County is a little bit of a bubble in terms of what we see and what people do. And we have cheerleaders coming in at 14, 15 years of age for liposuction. Mm. And, um, you know, things like a nose job, a rhinoplasty, I understand. After 15 years of age, somebody's nose, a girl's nose has reached its maximum size. It's not going to grow anymore. So operating on that, you know, might improve them not getting picked on. Or if a young girl has really huge breasts that keeps her from exercising and she's getting teased, which is called virginal hypertrophy, that's a medical issue. Sure, I would do a breast reduction for that and let them get back to their life. But, you know, when they come in for a little bit of liposuction for saddlebags or a little bit of liposuction for that muffin top, you know, go work out. That's what I would tell my daughter. <laughs> right. Right. You know? It's a, it's a little bit of a bizarre environment here in Orange County. But, you know, there are a lot of reasonable patients. These are few and far in between. So I don't want to make it sound like this is what I see every day, but we do see enough of it to know that this is not Kansas. <laughs> Dr. Bayadi, you brought up Heidi, and I yes. did think, I I watched her on the show, was at the Hills, right? Way before yes. the, these recent kind of things, and I read something that you had been a part of in, I think it was in some magazine, it might have been in style, where you mentioned the downsides of liposuction, and I think it was something like the fat may grow back in weird areas. Well, this is what happens with liposuction. It removes fat cells from a certain area of your body. And it's a great idea for people who have problem areas. For example, you know, a lot of men have spare tire around their waist, no matter how much they exercise. I see athletes, surfers who have it. And they come and get rid of it, but they are athletes, and they exercise, and they maintain their weight. Or women who are very thin or in good health and at a decent weight, but they have saddlebags, and that's a genetic thing where we deposit fat. You get rid of those, and that's an improvement. So liposuction is meant to treat problem areas. A lot of people who have all-over liposuction for weight loss, like they're 30, 40 pounds heavy, and they come in, they're like, suck this, suck that, suck that. I have to caution them. With liposuction, it's very important that you maintain your weight afterwards. 
Because when you gain weight after liposuction, you don't necessarily gain it in the areas that have been suctioned before. Sure, everything in your body is going to get bigger, but because we have reduced the density of fat cells in those areas that have been liposuctioned, you tend to get larger in areas that have not been treated. But I don't mean with a 5 to 10 pound weight fluctuation. If you are to gain like 20 to 30 pounds, that's what appears. On a very thin girl like Heidi, the picture that they had that they had me comment on, she was in Vegas and she looked visibly heavier. Her arms were chunkier, her face looked fuller, she was sporting a double chin now where she didn't have it before. And, you know, unfortunately, that's the downside. If you don't maintain your weight after liposuction or do the normal fluctuation of, you know, three to five pounds for most women during the month is normal, then, you know, you should not have liposuction. And you had also mentioned certain women, when they have breast augmentation, certain other body, not abnormalities, but kind of characteristics of your body become apparent. I remember you had mentioned Tori Spelling when she had smaller breasts, it wasn't so obvious how big I think you said her sternum was yeah and when she got bigger breasts gap and yes and it hit it a little better um it has to do with technique too we try to put the implants as close together as possible but you can't completely detach the muscle especially if you go submuscular with the implant if you do the middle lifts and that's a terrible deformity and some people who have a very wide sternum with a narrow insertion of their muscle medially, you can't do that. And they will have a gap between their breasts. And that's something we feel in the preoperative period and we tell them. And, you know, in a very thin girl who doesn't have a breast tissue, you know, putting them right under the breast, you will see the borders of the implant and it gives you a more unnatural result. So you contour the surgery to the needs of the patient and to their body cell. For example, for the same size breast, we never put the same implant in two people. You gotta do measurements. You gotta make sure the contour of the implant matches their body size, their chest width, their chest height, their breast projection. So that's why we have so many different styles of implants, and fortunately we do. So we can give everybody a custom fit implant that gives them a nice result. Do you, do you have a sense of how many um, women are coming in motivated by what their spouse wants as opposed to what they want? And can you sort of ferret that out in interviewing these women? Sure, absolutely. I see a lot of women that come in. Sometimes the spouse makes the appointment. <laughs> and I usually um, see them together when that is the case. They come in as a couple. And a lot of times I love having the men in the office with the women because I like to hear their thoughts and I like to see the dynamic between the two because it becomes a relationship. You're not just their doctor. It becomes a lot, you know, I, I have patients who invite me to their Christmas parties. It becomes kind of a personal thing when somebody comes to you with an insecurity and you're trying to fix it. And in this type of situations, when I feel like the spouse is motivating the woman to have something, I request a private consultation mm -hmm. if I feel like that's not what the woman wants. Mm -hmm. um, I have seen that a couple of times. A few times I've seen it in um, very devout Middle Easterns where the husband comes in with the woman and says, I want this area fixed. And she, does, she barely speaks during the consultation. And those kind of things, I basically ask for private time with the woman to see if that's what she wants. And if it's not, then I won't do it. And there's a lot of times that the couples have talked about it. They're both on the same page. They both want the same thing. Great. 
power to them, and I'm happy to do those. But it's very important to remember who's the patient. Right. Because my, my first obligation is to take care of the patient. And sure, I am open to suggestions and ideas from the husband, but ultimately my patient makes the decision. Right. We are on with Dr. Bayati. You are tuned into the chat room on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and we are chatting about plastic surgery trends, some of the newest trends in plastic surgery, whether or not they are a good idea. Uh, in addition to the foot injections and the mm-hmm. toe shortening, are there other procedures that you have seen that you are reticent to recommend to patients, other things kind of either on the horizon or things historically that you would not do? Sure. There are several things that I want to just bring as a public education to people's attention because I've seen some things that are done that are not great, and I've seen some things that people don't know can be done that should be done if it is a problem. One of the things that that are being performed around the country in some of the places that are not very reputable is doing fat injection for breast augmentation, where you take the fat from a part of the body, concentrate it, put it in the breast to increase the size. They're doing it in Europe a lot, too. And unfortunately, the downside of that is that every once in a while, this injected fat in the breast calcifies. What does that mean? It, it, it turns into little calcium deposits that you might not necessarily feel. But all women are going to need mammograms at some point. And I feel that it's a disservice to a woman to create calcifications that could be mistaken for cancer or mask real cancer. And so I want to caution people against doing that or asking their surgeon, can you take fat from my tummy and put it in my breast? And for a reconstructive patient who's had a mastectomy, it's a completely different issue because they don't have any more breast tissue left. But for a girl who's young and you pump their breasts with their own fat and some of it turns into calcium deposits, not a great idea. The other trend that a lot of people are not talking about but I think it's something that should be talked about because it's kind of hush-hush because of a shame factor, is labioplasties. Mm. A lot of young women come in for labia reduction. This is not necessarily just an aesthetic thing. Um, Some women have very large labias, and I mean the inner lips of the vagina. And when they run or when they wear pants or when they are sitting on a horse or horseback riding or on a bike, it's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They have also had trouble with intercourse, but they're, they don't realize that we could reduce them and make them more reasonable in size, so it can't be done. I had a young girl come to me. She was 22, and there was so much shame associated with this request because, for one thing, we don't put those photos on our websites. For one thing, Google doesn't like, you know, private area photos. The breast <laughs> seems to be acceptable, but they don't like anything below the belt understandably. So they don't know these things can be done. And she goes, you know, I haven't seen the photos of this, but, you know, I hear that something can be done. I'm very uncomfortable. I'm a runner and I keep getting rashes and I keep getting irritation and infections because of it. And I had to explain to her that this is something that is very common. We do like one or two a month. It's that common. And it's becoming more and more common the more people are realizing that something can be done about it. And she was happy as a clam afterwards because she was comfortable running. She could wear tighter pants. She could wear her jeans, not worry about going up a size so nothing rubs down there. And it's actually life-changing for a lot of girls who are very self-conscious about the appearance down there as well. Right. I was also hearing about hymen replacement surgery. I assume this is bigger in Middle Eastern countries or, or 
places where this makes a difference for women if, you know, if the loss of their virginity is going to sure. dis- <laughs> distress their, yeah, right. Right. Um, you know, we don't see that much of it here because honestly, and maybe the OBGYNs see it, but plastic surgeons usually don't see that kind of surgery, but I've heard about it. Um, most of the ones that I see is vaginoplasties, is to just make the vagina nicer after people have popped out a few kids and things stretch out and don't look the same. Or the labioplasty in very young people who are like, do I need to live with this the rest of my life? And we say, absolutely not. We can fix that. Yeah. So those are the things that I usually see. Right. And how young do you accept patients? It sounds like uh, it obviously depends on the procedure, but at what point exactly. is a girl's body fairly developed enough that you can, you know, I, I know there's a psychological decision versus a physical sure. body decision, but in general, what what's the age that you recommend girls? Honestly, know? for things like rhinoplasty, it's usually 15 for girls, 17 for boys, because I want to make sure the development is complete. The other procedure we do that is considered aesthetic, and it's not always covered by insurance, is otoplasty. That is when we pin back the ears, mm-hmm. when kids get teased because their ears are sticking out. And you know how damaging that could be to a kid. Mm-hmm. And we usually wait till they're six to seven years of age and we do those kind of things so that it psychologically doesn't damage them. Because by about seven years of age, your ear reaches its adult size and your head just grows into it. Um, so we usually do those on kids before they go to school and get teased too much. Um, for anything else, like Breast reduction is a special case. Sometimes people have what I call virginal hypertrophy, which is right when they hit puberty, their breasts grow out of proportion to the rest of their body. And I'm not talking about like a C cup or a D cup. These people get really, really huge, and it's very bothersome. It's hard to contain them. And they're not just big. They're uncomfortable. Sometimes they're tender. They have cysts. You know, those we do the breast reduction after they have reached their maximum size, which is usually by 15. We see those girls 15 to 16. We operate on those and give them their first reduction with the caveat that if they do get pregnant, this could happen again because these are usually hormonally mediated. And other than that, I wait till 18 to do anything to a girl's breast. Mm -hmm. If it's an augmentation, lift, anything else, I wait till 18. Body contouring, you know, usually again, I wait till 18. Um, I think that people who start tampering with their bodies need to be basically of an age to give consent for themselves. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, especially when you see all these models in magazines and on TV, kids have a lot of self-image issues. And I don't want to feed into that. I don't want to tell them that that's okay to have liposuction at 14. (laughs) Because there's a lot of other ways to lose weight, a healthy ways. And if by the time they're 18 and they haven't been able to do that with diet and exercise and all of that, they can make that decision for themselves. Right. Dr. Bayadi, I get the impression that it's very important to you that there be a high level of scruples and accountability when it comes to plastic surgery. This seems very important to you. Absolutely, and I hope that's important to any physician. You know, our first goal is to do no harm, and the job that I do is so related to how people see themselves and how it affects their lives. And, you know, our self-image really affects the way we present ourselves in life, in job, in relationships. And my job is to make that better for them, not worse. And if you do it for the wrong reason, you're not helping anybody. 
and you do find that in the media and probably in real life, there are people who get plastic surgery done that maybe should not have been done. Absolutely, because let me tell you, the cosmetic industry has boomed, and we have a lot of people who have minimal training, and they're not board-certified plastic surgeons. They haven't had the proper training, but they do these procedures because it's cash, and they don't have to go through insurance companies, whether it be OBGYNs doing liposuction or family practitioners doing injectables and fillers without any training, or whether it be your nose and throat doctors doing breast augmentations. You know, unfortunately, when money enters the situation, sometimes the motives are wrong for doing the surgery. And, you know, I personally made a decision early in my career that I will not do a surgery if I don't feel it's right or it will help the patient in, in some way. And I can't say that in this area with all of these practitioners calling themselves themselves board-certified plastic surgeons are different than board-certified cosmetic surgeons, and that's what we see, board-certified cosmetic surgeons. There's no board of cosmetic surgery. So this is misadvertisement, and it's misleading the public. So it's very important for people to do their homework. All of the board-certified plastic surgeons are on plasticsurgery.org. If you don't find your doctor there, run. (laughs) And you must find that there's some people who are attracted to going to another country to get plastic surgery where it's cheaper? We see that a lot, actually. Going down to Mexico is very common because California is so close to Mexico. And I see a lot of people coming from Brazil who've had work done. There's some fine plastic surgeons in Brazil. And they are actually, they do beautiful work. We see them in our national meetings. But like every other place, even like here, there's a lot of quacks as well. I recently had a young lady who came back from Brazil with buttock augmentation with implants and it got infected and they were poking out and we had to remove them because she didn't she wasn't given the proper antibiotics, she wasn't given the proper care of her incision and by the time she got in here she ended up paying two, three times more to have the damage undone. So it's you know, unfortunately you have to be careful as a consumer. Yes, you can go to Mexico. I had another young lady who came up from Mexico whose left breast was completely red after an augmentation, gave her antibiotics, wouldn't get better. When I went in there to take the implant out, the saline implant was filled with tap water. It had mold in it. Oh my god. And it had like black mold in it. And I have never seen anything like this. So we had to take both of them out, wash her out, wait three to six months for her tissues to recover from that horrible infection and reconstruct her folds because it was so damaging. This infection was so horrible. And then do her augmentation finally after a year. So, you know, you got to be careful. They don't have the same standards of care that we do in this country. They don't, they're not held to the same standards. There's not as much scrutiny. The training is different. You don't know what you're getting. And I kind of feel like, you know, it's your life and it's your health and it's your body. If that's not your temple and if that's not something you should take the best care of, I think your priorities are wrong. That's right. And you're saying oftentimes these less certified surgeons do bad work. And the impression I get is that there's no way to kind of go back to them and get them to fix it. Does that happen frequently? Well, when you're coming into U.S. from another country, sure, you can fly back there, but the expense and the hassle associated with that, I mean, sure, you might as well just stay there till you're healed and come back. But, 
You know, in this area, unfortunately, we see a lot of non-board certified plastic surgeons doing things that they're not trained in. And unfortunately, when somebody does something that's not right or you don't feel good about it, why would you go back to them? Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, you worry, like, if they didn't do it right the first time, what makes you think they're going to do better the second time? I mean, there are known complications of surgery. I'll give you. Anybody will have that. You know, that's just, that's why we have informed, informed consent. We talk to the patient about it. Those I'm not talking about. Sure, it can happen. Infection can happen to anybody. You know, bleeding can happen to anybody. But I'm talking about just technically wrong things that are done to people under the guise of plastic surgery. People who don't know how to do, you know, breast augmentations and put the implants too far apart or uneven or uh, people who do tummy tucks and the scar is completely uneven or the belly button is so huge that you're like, oh, my God, what is that hole? (laughs) And, you know, those are very hard to correct after the fact. So to some degree, you do get what you pay for because a lot of people cut their prices down to be competitive in the market so that they get the patients who are cost conscious. But unfortunately, in this one instance, you do get what you pay for. And I have had patients who spend even more money trying to correct bad plastic surgery because they were price shopping. There is a lot of chop shops, unfortunately. Um, And California is just as bad as Florida. Florida has been publicized a lot about this, but California is getting bad too as the economy is going down and people are just becoming a lot more cost conscious. They go price shopping and, you know, people who don't have the proper training just underbid the trained people to get the business and unfortunately they don't do great work. So if it's not hard to find your surgeon after he did poor work, could you explain to us what would be the benefit of the serial number? Kind of, I had read on your website that there's that you are trying to advocate for a serial number to be included in uh, breast implants. Well, serial number is included in breast implants, but unfortunately, I can't tell you how many patients come in and they were not given the, even their implant card. It comes in the box that we open to take the implant out. And immediately the first thing that I do, I open the boxes because I don't like anyone else handling the implants I'm putting in a patient. And I fill out the information because that's what I'm going to give the patient to carry in their wallet. God forbid they're in a car wreck. God forbid, you know, they're somewhere out of the country. People need to know what's in their body. Kind of like an artificial joint, artificial knee or a heart valve. Those patients carry cards that tells people what they have. And I think breast implant is a device and we need to be responsible when we insert these into patients. And those serial numbers are actually filed with the companies. For example, when a patient comes back to me with a rupture of an implant, which can happen, one of my patients got kicked by a horse Mm -hmm. and came in, we immediately opened the file with the company and went through her warranty to replace it. (laughs) Because these were filed properly, the serial number was on file, the patient's name was associated with it, so there was no weirdness going with it. But I can't tell you a lot of these, like 29.99 breast augmentations, mm. some of them are not even U.S. implants. Mm. A few years ago, people were importing implants from um, other countries and huge rupture rate. Mm. It kept deflating. And that company, who shall remain nameless, went out of business. You know, just be careful. There's a lot of, you know, smoke and mirrors out there to try and impress people and have them to have surgery with the non-credential people. Just do it right. Do it the first time. Then you don't have to pay multiple times to correct the problem. 
It is funny to me how geographic plastic surgery is. You know, obviously Orange County is a yes. huge bubble, but I grew up in Seattle where I I uh-huh. feel like if you had, pla- I don't know what it's like now, but if you had plastic surgery back then, you know, you'd be really ostracized probably or parts Singled of out. Yeah, you'd really be sort of pointed at, it, I think. You know, Are, the funny thing is that, you know, there was a little bit of a stigma associated with plastic surgery over time. And a lot of us who trained, majority of our training used to be reconstructive. Mm-hmm. But what has happened, I think, over time with the society is that people are a lot more accepting that if we have things that bother us or interfere with our true happiness, you know, like if you have a huge nose that's making you self-conscious, you're not going to job interviews confident because you think everybody's staring at your nose or you're getting picked at in school. It's a tough way to go through life. Right. Easy to fix. So people are becoming a little more accepting. It kind of started with that. And then, of course, like anything, people take it to extremes. Right. And, you know, that's that's how things gradually evolve. And it's important to just meet the needs. And if the needs are realistic and smart and make sense, sure. Yeah. Any plastic surgeon can provide you with those services. I love that men are coming in more and more because my perception around Orange County excuse me for saying this, Dana, is that the women are exercising their butts off, literally. Yes. (laughs) They are, you know, going in for Botox. They are starving themselves. And the guys just seem to be getting bigger and bigger and wearing sloppy clothes. (laughs) And like, I don't know what they're wearing down at the beach. And I'm like, how did that guy get that girl? Um, You're so cute. So it's good um, that I, I hear that guys... She might be dating are, his wallet. You never know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I, I'm county. sure that's what's going on. <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But, you know, it's it's funny because uh, the old co-host of the chat room is uh, yes. hot, hot, hot. And she has had all kinds of work done. You know, she was hot before she started, but she's had a lot of work done as well. And she be perfect. Yeah, uh-huh. she she puts her husband through the paces, you know. She's got the pot of That's wax true. out and she's waxing his back, you know, once a week. And Ouch. <laughs> I know. <laughs> So, I think, you know, you just got to be comfortable. I mean, if that's what he likes to power to them, you yeah, know, right. but if that's not what he wants, poor baby. Right. right. <laughs> but so, I see a lot more men in the practice and I can tell you the executives are getting younger and younger. So the older men wanting to compete in the business world are coming in for more facial rejuvenation hmm. and they want their bodies fit because fitness is such a big deal, especially in California. And we're seeing more and more problem areas in men being addressed with liposuction, especially when we have different techniques of liposuction, you know, and it's usually the spare tire, the little turkey gobbler under the chin. Those are the common areas men really struggle with. Another really big thing that I do a lot of is gynecomastia, which is male breasts. Mm. And I can tell you, it's very, very liberating for men to lose those. They dress different. They don't wear any fitted shirts. They hide. And we do it as early as men in, like, at age 17. Because sometimes oh. when men have boobs at that young an age, they get picked on. Right. Again, it's a psychological issue, kind of like doing the ears on a 7-year-old that sticks out. Male breasts are very disturbing to men in locker rooms. And, you know, guys are brutal to each other in locker rooms. And, you know, those kind of things we correct because it's not just a cosmetic thing. It has life-changing implications for them in terms of confidence, in terms of being able to be active, not hide. And we see a lot of that, and that's strictly a male surgery. It's up there with the uh, the man's ear and the, with the bro and the there man's ear in Seinfeld, right? <laughs> that's right. 
and immerse. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Dr. Bayadi, do you ever Yes, sir. Do you ever um work on children who are born with deformities? All the time. I'm also an upper extremity surgeon and you know, I see a lot of kids with extra digits or uh, syndactyly where their fingers are spooned together and stuck together, and uh, we take them to surgery at about six to nine months of age and separate the fingers, do skin grafts and stuff. Um, I do a lot of children pro bono when they don't have insurance and they have deformities or things that bother them. I have one of the biggest pediatric practices in Orange County for skin lesions because um we see a lot of kids grow really bad moles in this sun-exposed area, and they get it year-round. It's unlike the Midwest when in the winter they're covered up. Mm. And, you know, even though parents put sunscreen on and rash guards and all of that, people forget to reapply every two hours. I can tell you my babies have a hat, rash guard, and they get sunscreen every two hours when they're outdoors. We're seeing more and more moles in the kid's scalp and their exposed extremities that are not good. They have dysplastic cells, which is pre-malignant, and these are as young as seven, eight years of age, which is kind of a shame because it's preventable if you do the proper cover-up and sunscreen application and just sun avoidance when you can. Um, So, yeah, I do a lot of kids. And could you kind of give us a breakdown of, you had mentioned it seems like there's a theme of let's just kind of concentrate for the women right now that they sure. want they want to improve their looks because it kind of in, it will help increase their confidence. Absolutely. Is that Absolutely. the only it's, it's reason? It's becoming a very competitive world. You know, you open the magazines and you see these uh, skinny models sitting in size twos, and you you know. Obviously, in the job market, if you are attractive, you have a little bit of more edge. Unfortunately, it's a, it's a very um, superficial society in that sense. And um, women feel the need to compete, and they feel the need to be the best they possibly can be. And those are not bad motives. If that helps you with your health and fitness, and if I can tweak it a little bit with a little bit of plastic surgery here and there to help you out... Absolutely. It is becoming that way. And it's not just U.S. It's very, very worldwide. We see it in Europe as well. We have international meetings of plastic surgery that we attend. And, you know, it's everywhere. French women are starting to do breast implants more. And, you know, Brazilian women are very much into their butts and have been doing buttock augmentation. You know, there's trends everywhere. So we're not alone in that trend. Certainly. And you have mentioned... uh professional success would you say there's also a large amount of women that view their professional success more as their ability to attract and keep a a man like do you see a lot of housewife types i see all types and you know i really don't know what their motives are but i know women who are professional and they're in the job market have their own reasons for wanting to stay attractive and competitive. And housewives, you know, they have their own reason. You know, they they have been a mom, they have been a wife, and, you know, they want to get that body of youth back, and they want to look the best they possibly can for their spouses, for themselves. There's a psychological element about feeling good about yourself. You do everything else better. As you know, depression is a tough thing and when you don't feel good about yourself it affects everything in your life so 
That's why I think it's very important as a plastic surgeon to be astute to the reasons why somebody's sitting in front of you. And I have sent patients for psychological counseling or psych eval before I operate on them because I can't 100% say that this person knows for sure what they're getting into. And 9 out of 10, the psychologist says no. Hmm. Wow. You know, when the radar goes up, that sentence not right there, you, you probably should trust it. But there's a lot of women out there who do it for the right reason. They, feel, they want to feel good about their bodies. They want to feel good about themselves. And if, if that little plastic surgery gives them an edge, why not? Life's too short. You've got to be happy. I love the 84-year-old woman who came in. I know, she is the cutest. That's awesome. Is there is there an age where it sort of starts to drop off, where women start to give in, or do they pull it the entire way to the grave? We have both types. I, I've seen women in their 90s come in perfectly polished and, you know, together. And, I, you know, it's a personal choice, and there's no judgment there. Everybody should find their comfort level and what they're happy with. And... I can tell you, when your health starts declining, I don't recommend elective surgery. Or if you're going to have elective surgery, we do it in a very, very protective setting, in the hospital, with the monitoring, admit them overnight for observation. You know, it's very important to be safe with plastic surgery because, you know, it's a completely elective operation. And to jeopardize someone's health and wellness for that is unacceptable risk as far as I'm concerned. So it's very important. We do that with older people who are just tired of their tummy finally or something. And we do it in the hospital. We do it with the, you know, we always use anesthesiologists for our cases that are certified, that are used to these cases. And sometimes I do it in the hospital setting just for that reason, to be safe. Because when people have health issues, you don't want to risk their health for something elective. I've always said that when I'm 80, I'm going to start shooting up heroin and snorting cocaine. Nice. All the things that I never did. And now I I'm going to add that. yeah, double Ds to the list. I'm going to do that too. There you go. <laughs> you don't have to Why wait not? that long, but okay. <laughs> you too can have double Ds tomorrow. <laughs> Why not? I know. I know. It is funny because I came into this interview, I have to say, so skeptical about plastic surgery. I mean, I've Aww. lived with my, my uh, 32 double A's for 41 years now. It's and, all uh, good. Yeah, but you you are. You're kind of selling me over. I, you know. It's, uh, you're so cute. No, if you're happy with your 32 double A's, live with them. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with them. It's just people who need something else, we can give them something else. But there's no judgment, no need for everyone to have the same thing. That's what I want to make clear, you know? Yeah. Do it for you. Right. Don't do it because you think you should do it for someone else. Right. Right. Plus, there's a lot that you can't do when you do have double D's. How much do they weigh, Dr.? Um, honestly, weight-wise, the implants are not that bad, and I have runners who have double Ds. It's it's kind of a pain. I personally have double Ds, not ever being personal, and I run four miles every other day. I spin, all of that. But there's certain things you got to keep in mind. Mine are homegrown; they're not store-bought. <laughs> but you wear two different kinds of bras when you run, so that you know you don't have bouncing and stretching and you know drooping and things like that. But, yeah, they do get in the way. Big breasts get in the way. I completely agree. But big breasts attract attention and their power when you're single and dating. So, you know, you got to kind of see what your needs are. And there is no judgment. Do yeah. what you, you know, what makes you happy. Yeah. 
there was something just going back to the toe <laughs> the toe cutting off thing there <laughs> was so, so crazy that toe thing <laughs> so crazy so there was something I in the agree. press release about there there was a statistic about 21% and i i wasn't sure what the 21% related to if that was it said something about these these are up 21% which i assume i mean if one person has it is that you know what what does it mean to be up 21% <laughs> from hopefully zero well you know hopefully it remains closer to zero but, you know, once something catches on in the media, all of a sudden the phone calls pour in. Can I have this done? Can I have that done? And unfortunately, toe shortening has become one of those. And I can tell you, we see it equally as um, the podiatrists see it. And I think podiatrists are seeing it a little more than we are because, you know, when you think of your toes and your feet and putting fillers in your balls and balls of your foot and all of that, um, most people actually started with the podiatrist. But because they don't do fat grafting, they're not trained to harvest and concentrate fat. They're not trained in liposuction. It started kind of spilling over to plastic surgery. Okay. Oh, my God. Yep. That's what, what I said. Yeah. <laughs> what people won't do. <laughs> Are there other things yeah. out there that we should be um, on the lookout for that that sort of haven't been cleared by the FDA but are in the talks? Yeah, there's there's actually a few really exciting things in terms of laser therapy, um, in terms of new machines that are coming out for cellulite treatment. Cellulase is one of them that just got cleared by FDA. It's very interesting. Um, long-term results, I'd like to see a few more years before I buy one because some of these machines like Thermage and Fraxel and all of that, um, they come and go because the results are not that dramatic. They don't last that long and they don't deliver what they promise. This one sounds very promising. I like to see people try it for about a year or so to tell you whether it lasts or not. But in the primary trials, it sounded really good because who doesn't want to not have cellulite? Yeah, really. Dr. Bayadi, as we wrap this interview up, I wondered if mm -hmm. you could kind of give us your view of what the post-surgery uh, contact would be from a physician because you obviously have to kind of... Uh, help them adapt to their new look? Sure, sure. Um, honestly, the, the first and foremost is patient safety. So when people have multiple procedures, I usually advocate that they spend one night with a nurse to be watched, monitored, um, to make sure they're okay. And I don't send people just straight home after multiple procedures. Sure, with a breast dog, you go home. Um, usually, I see them pretty regularly after surgery, the first couple of weeks, just to make sure the wound is healing, there's no sign of infection. They're doing the proper instructions in terms of no arm activity, or if they're a tummy tuck patient, staying bent for the first week, making sure their drains are draining, all of that good stuff. After that, I have had people who start dressing different, thinking different, and they have questions. They have questions like, you know, is this going to is this going to stay this way? Um, is it going to change? And there are some changes that occur after surgery. And obviously, like anything, you take time to heal. And as it heals, it looks a little different over time. And sure, psychologically, sometimes people need a little help with it. Um, but overall, you know, people come to me, and that's when patient selection becomes such a huge issue. If you pick them right, they're very happy. Hmm. But if people are coming to you with motives that are not right, they're never going to be happy. Right. Well, you know I, well said. Well it's said. It's a symptom of another problem. <laughs> right, right. Are there things that, uh, big areas that we should have covered that we didn't? 
I feel I like think you pretty much covered it all. Yeah, I think you you went yeah. through the gamut. I think we did well, and I think we've you've shown that you're a a surgeon of high moral standing. And if you want to I go to someone that will guide you right, you're probably the right surgeon. Now, how do we get in touch with you? You do have a website, right? Doctor, doc- I do have a website: www.drbayati.com. I'm located in Newport Beach, and um, I'm also on Facebook. And um, I'm on LinkedIn and on YouTube. I've done a few shows. I just appeared on Lifetime, um, The Balancing Act, this past Monday. So Mm -hmm. I'm all over the place. You can find me easily. Yes, absolutely. And I appreciate you getting on the horn with us. I know we have some guests waiting for you. Thank yeah, you. It's really... been a pleasure. You guys are really fun. And if you want to come over for a happy hour, <laughs> you're invited. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> come on over. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Thanks doctor. again. Bye-bye. Have a great evening. You too. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Another edition of The Chat Room. I love it. She was uh, she was so open and honest and uh, out there. She was frank. She was frank. And yeah. I was concerned that maybe she wouldn't be. Yeah, no. Because... If she was a different type of surgeon, she would be scared of speaking her mind for fear of excluding some customers. But it sounds like she's actually very picky yeah. and she doesn't want to do any harm. She seems a doctor first and a plastic surgeon second, which is refreshing. I don't think we, we get that view of surgeons. What we get is the dude that's knife happy. And you have know. you seen her? She's totally hot. Yeah, I did see her. She's hot. Yeah, so I thought, you know, perhaps she's uh, using her own surgery a little bit too much, but it doesn't sound like that. Uh, yeah, I thought that She's too. just really hot. I thought maybe <laughs> she <laughs> was going to... I didn't know how much surgery she had done. Right. And, you know, I would have assumed probably that she had breast augmentation, but it didn't turn out that way. Yeah, yeah. So, Dr. Samir Bayadi, we salute you. Absolutely. And one of these days we're going to... I might come you visit you. <laughs> <laughs> I might salute you so much, I might give you my business. <laughs> so, it's been another edition of the chat room. So fun. Every Friday, fun. 5 to 6. And next week, we are on with a hilarious guy, a comedian, um, writer. He goes around to schools uh, doing speaking about bullying, but he's going to come on and talk about teenagers, intimate relationships, uh, complicated romantic relationships, and he is hysterically funny. So uh, I look forward to, to it. Yeah. Tune in next week. We will be right back here with you next Friday night, 5 o'clock, as we always are. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great weekend. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Hey, hey, um, I I was wondering, are you doing anything tonight? Are you free?
Hey, this is Nathan Explosion from Death Clock, and you're listening to some underfunded college radio station from somewhere. KUCI 88.9 FM.